0: He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. He learned two things. He learned that there was no good in his flesh. And he learned, secondly, that there was no power in his new nature that joyfully concurred with the law of God. Look at that. The wishing is present in me. See the end of verse 18? I'd like to do, but the doing of the good is not. There's no power in His new nature. God is this power source. So as believers, we have a new nature, but there's no power in the new nature in and of itself. I'm the vine, you're the branches, Jesus said, and you got to abide in me or you won't be able to do anything. Apart from me, you can do
1: nothing. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Law's Function. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started.
0: He's speaking of his self-complacent, blissful, legalistic, self-righteous, pharisaical life. And then when sin really was brought to bear by the commandment, He said, Sin became alive. I saw sin for what it really is, and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, the law was given to result in life, it proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The end effect of the law was to show sin for what it was and to bring us to the point of death. In fact... That's exactly what Paul calls the law in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 and 9. He calls it the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. And hence, the law's function is to bring us to that point of death, that condemnation that drives us to the only Savior. So the problem, he reiterates, verse 12, is not the law. The law is holy and righteous and good. But indwelling sin takes opportunity through the law. Now, did the law cause death? No. Sin caused death. He already said that many times in this book. Sin is what brought death, but the law shows sin to be sin. And so basically he's asking the question, is God responsible with his law? For all the wreckage and and uh, disease and war and all the results of sin, no man is responsible, so you could you could even boil the question down to that: is God responsible or is man responsible because you know that's how often it comes up in our twisted hearts, and in the you know at the coffee shop when you're talking about these things, people will say, "Well, how come if God is God?" And they start with God and then talk about all the problems that sin brings. As if God is the author of sin. And so, if you were to drive this question that he's raising and answering here back beyond the law to the giver of the law, you could say, is, is it God that's responsible or is it man? And Paul says very clearly, it's not the law, it's sin. My sin that indwelling sin. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. The law shows sin to be what it is, utterly sinful. And by the way, don't ever minimize sin. Uh, we live in a culture. We live in a day. We live in a generation that constantly poo-poo's sin. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Minimizes it. Sin is what brought the race into the wreckage we're in today. Every time you see the suffering that disease brings, remember where it came from. Man's sin. Every time you see the suffering and the heartache that happens when a family is torn apart, realize what's tearing it apart, sin. When that which was meant to be a great blessing and God gave before sin even entered the picture, marriage, a man and a woman become one, and it's to be a picture of Christ in the church when that is torn asunder, and all the heartache and all the problems that come to... Every person involved, the husband, the wife, the children, all the many others that are affected by it, when you see these things, realize it's sin. Sin. Sin, look at verse 13, is utterly sinful. And don't underestimate the indwelling sin either that resides in your heart and in my heart. Not just the non-Christian, but the Christian's heart. And see it for what it is. The law makes sin known, and it shows it to be utterly sinful. So what does the law do? It convicts, very simply. Now, verse 14 through 25, what the law doesn't do. It does not deliver. It does not deliver. It cannot deliver from sin. It can't justify. He's explained that earlier in the book very thoroughly. Now he's saying in this section, chapter 6 through 8, he's saying, listen, we're not under law under grace and he's saying the law not only couldn't justify it can't sanctify and uh, before we look at it and I want to draw draw it out and just read it for us but before we look at it I want to point out two or three things about this um, section first of all verse 14 and following is autobiographical Paul lived through this I mean he experienced what he's talking about you can't read it without seeing that there are those who think he was just using this as a literary device and I marvel really that someone can read this and not see that this was what Paul had gone through. It was autobiographical. Secondly, if you'll notice, all the verbs change in verse 14 to present tense. 7 through 13, it was all past tense, speaking, I think, of his conversion and the convicting power of sin to bring him to his knees. But now, 14 and following, these are all present tense verbs. Thirdly, I think every Christian can relate to this struggle. Every Christian. I don't care how strong you are or how weak you are. You can relate to what Paul's writing here. I don't care how young you are in the Lord or how mature you are in the Lord. You can relate to what Paul is saying. And then I would say this. This should not be our habitual experience, okay? But I would quickly add, it will be a constant of life until the Lord returns, takes us home. It shouldn't be our habitual experience, but it will be a constant of life. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute, but let's just read it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Now notice, He states that far, and he gets to the point where he says, the problem is the sin which indwells me. Then he restates it, and it's like there's two parallel statements here. 14 through 17, move to that point, and then read with me verse 18. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I wish, I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. He got to the same point again. He comes back to the very same point. Look at the end of verse 17. Sin which indwells me is no longer I am the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Then look at verse 20. I'm doing the very thing I do not wish. I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It is indwelling sin that is the problem. Now, he knows he's a new creature in Christ. He says, it's no longer me, but it's sin dwelling in me. And notice both times, look at verse 17 and verse 20. He says, no longer am I the one doing it. This is not the struggle now of a non-Christian to overcome sin. In fact, the non-Christian doesn't really struggle that much. He doesn't worry about it. He writes his laws out and keeps them because he keeps his own laws. He doesn't worry about the holy standards of God. Even when he's a self-righteous Pharisee who memorized all the laws, he was fairly content with how he was doing. But now he says, now that I really see sin for what it is and I really see the law and the righteous standard of God, he says, no longer no longer he's now talking about his christian experience and he says i myself i'm a new creature in christ but there's still a problem in my life and it is this problem of sin which indwells me or the indwelling sin the problem is not the law but it's me verse 14 i am of flesh and by the way he doesn't say i am in the flesh he says i am of flesh and i would say there's a significant difference there The Christian is not in the flesh. He's going to point that out in Romans 8. Those who are in the flesh are those born in the flesh, and they are in the flesh. They can't please God. But he says, though I'm not in the flesh, I am of flesh. It's the same truth that he says over in Galatians 2.20 when he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He says, I'm still down here in the body, and I've still got some of the human limitations of living here, the life which I now live, he says, you know, it's Christ that lives in me. He says, no longer I, uh, you know, Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. But he goes on and says, but the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Now he learned two things in these uh, in these verses. And look at verse eighteen. I see it as a key. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. He learned two things. He learned that there was no good in his flesh. Sometimes, uh, you hear people talk erroneously, I think, about the, their old nature. But, uh, then the phraseology here, is important to, to hang on to because it has ramifications throughout the New Testament. But he says, there's no good in my flesh. And he's learned, secondly, that there was no power in his new nature that joyfully concurred with the law of God. Look at that. The wishing is present in me. See the end of verse 18? I'd like to do, but the doing of the good is not. There's no power in his new nature. God is the power source. Okay? So as believers, we have a new nature, but there's no power in the new nature in and of itself. I'm the vine, you're the branches, Jesus said, and you got to abide in me or you won't be able to do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Paul says, I learned that there was no good in my flesh and there's no power in my new nature. I find then. Look at verse 21. I find then... Here's what he found. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. My new nature desires to please God, but I've still got this flesh, this indwelling sin. And he says, I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Yes, I died to sin. Yes, I'm a new creature. Yes, my inner man joyfully concurs with God's word that I ought to do what he wants. But no, the struggle is not over. And no, it's not just clean sailing, clear sailing, never a problem. And that would be a misapplication of chapter 6, for instance, to say that because... Death no longer is master of us. Sin is no longer master of us. We no longer sin, and everything's just cool in the Christian life. He said, no, no, there's still a struggle. There is still a struggle. There's a different law. Notice verse 23. In the members of my body. Verse 18. Just look at the different phrases. In my flesh. Verse 21. Evil is present in me. Verse 14, I am of the flesh. These things that are still true of my humanness are at struggle with, and then look across, and you look at at verse 17, the the, uh, no longer I am the one doing it, same thing he says in verse 20. The inner man, verse 23, or excuse me, verse 22, the inner man desires... To do the things of God joyfully concurs. There's a new nature within the believer that wants to do what is right. And it's called the law of my mind, but it wages war against the members of my body. And so he speaks of this struggle. Now, having said that, having said that, let me come back to what I said earlier. I said it should not be the habitual experience of the Christian. I really don't think this was Paul's habitual experience, verses 14 through 24. Uh, and yet, I also said, it is a constant of life. And no matter how much we grow in this life, no matter how mature we become, there will never become a time in our life when there will not be this tension, where there will not be this struggle. And I think it needs to be said. Uh, this is not to be where we live. The Christian life is not a constant turmoil. And yet there is a sense in which there is a constant battle in the Christian life, in the healthy Christian life. Now, I would say uh, this isn't to be the norm of our experience. And yet it is part of the normal Christian experience that we will face this struggle until he finishes the job on us when he Redeems our body, soul, and spirit. When he, you know, when Paul said, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, body, soul, and spirit until the day of Christ Jesus. And we long for that day. We joyfully concur with the law of God today, but we see a different law in our members and we're going to see this until he finishes the job. But having said that, let me, uh, let me give you a couple practical things. If you begin to focus on the law, As if the law can sanctify you. If you begin to think that if you could just keep the law and kind of reduce the Christian life to rules, you will fail. You will be frustrated. The law was not given to justify and it was not given to sanctify. If you begin to focus on yourself and your ability, which he just stated, you've got none. But if you begin to focus on yourself and your need to live a better life, and it's a subtle thing that can come into the Christian life, and much preaching and teaching and books and, and habits can develop this way, I've got to do better, and I, I need to live better, and you start to focus on your need to do better and your weaknesses and your this and your that, you will fail, you will be frustrated, and it will be a lonely, introspective Christian experience. In fact, I counted in this chapter... There are 47 occurrences of I and me and myself. Uh, And you'll hardly find the personal pronoun in chapter 8 when he moves on into the victory available in the Holy Spirit. But if you focus on yourself or the law as if the law could deliver, you will find frustration. But if you focus on Christ and watch where he culminates the argument, verse 24, as he sees this struggle going on, he ends up saying finally, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He hits the low point and how many of us could say we haven't been there? Oh, wretched man that I am, who will set me free immediately? 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you focus on Christ and if you allow the weakness of your flesh and the indwelling sin that you sense is still there, if you allow those things to drive you to Christ, you will sense and you will find victory and joy. And the apostle's life was not a wheel-spinning, turmoiled kind of a life. He had joy and victory in his Christian life, but he didn't preclude the struggle. That his Christian life entailed but his focus was on the Lord and he said thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ if you let your weakness drive you to him you will find in him strength it's the same Jesus said in the analogy as he prepared the disciples for this whole era when he said listen I'm the vine my father's the vine dresser and your branches a branch cannot bear fruit apart from the vine apart from me You can do nothing. So the culmination of the chapter is Christ. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ, as the song said, is not only the justifier. He's not only the one who gives us eternal life. He is the strength for every day. He is the sanctifier. And in Christ, I can do all things. Paul writes in another place. Now that doesn't... Uh, he? It doesn't take away the reality and notice even the chapter. Look at the end of verse 25. It doesn't close here. He says, So then, on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. It's not that the issue is going to go away. No, there's going to be this tension. But he says, On the one hand... My flesh serves the law of sin. But on the other hand, my real me, the inner man, the new man, the new nature, joyfully concurs with the law of God and serves. And so in this sense, you come back around full circle, and I want to reread verse 6 as he states the theological truth behind it. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, can I just say it very simply? Christian, Christ saved you. Christ is going to finish the job. He's going to keep you saved. He's the one who will deliver you right now. Are you struggling with things? Go to Christ. Don't go to the law. Don't go to your inner resources. If you don't have any. Go to Him. And He resides in you through His Holy Spirit. And chapter 8 is going to unfold all this. But go to Christ. Non-Christian, only Christ can deliver. The law's whole function was to show us how sinful sin really is. And sin, I should say, law convicts. It brings the conviction of sin home. And even today, as you've read this and heard this, maybe you've seen your own sin. Go to Christ. Christ is the deliverer from sin. He's the only deliverer.
1: You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Law's Function, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast.
0: You know, in the old days when they brought the wagon trains across the prairie, one of the threats, there were many threats, but one of the threats they faced was wildfire and prairie fires. And the story is told of a wagon train coming across out there where they could go nowhere. It was just out there where everywhere everywhere you looked is all just prairie And they saw this tremendous prairie fire headed their way and the wind driving it toward them, and there was no escape. And the wagon master stopped the train. He knew it was futile to try to outrace the flames or get around them, anything like that. And he stopped everybody and just stopped them in their tracks. And then soon they saw and they said, what is he doing? And he was over on the other side. As they saw the flames, they were occupied with the flames over here. They looked over here and he had set another fire on the other side of them. They said, what kind of a wagon master did we hire? And he obviously knew what he was doing. He set a backfire, and the wind that was driving the fire toward them continued to drive this fire away from them. And then after it burned a while, he drove all the train, the whole, all the wagons onto the burned soil, and they just sat there and waited for the fire to come. And they were safe because they were on judged ground, burnt ground. As a Christian, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are on judged ground. God will not punish sins twice. Just as they could be peaceful, knowing that judgment had already fallen, they were uncharred, there was nothing left to burn. So when you come to Jesus Christ, all your sin has been washed away. Their sins
1: and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Set Free in Christ. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.